Welcome to Railways Africa. I'm Philippa Dean, the publisher. Railways Africa has been providing rail-related news and business intelligence, specifically focused on the African continent since the early 50s. Our platform consists of Railways Africa Live, Coffee with the Editor, and our weekly and monthly publications. Online Premium Platform provides business opportunities and project information to our premium online subscribers. We offer a comprehensive range of communication services to bring you closer to your customer, as well as research-related projects. You can find us online, as well as on our social media platforms, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. We look forward to bringing you closer to your customers in the rail sector, both private and public. Thank you for joining me for a copy with the editor this morning, and congratulations on the release of your social and economic impact report. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time to meet with us. All right. So, Hector, I think one needs to put into to context that the report looks at 2014 to 2020. Um, so, as at March this year, 33 trains have been delivered. And, and simply put, you know, 20 of those trains came, came from Brazil. So, you know, that's not many trains over the years. Uh, per annum, but I think it's a good idea to give context so people actually understand where you are in the project and the stage, just for the audience to understand before they go, well, you know, the five and a half trains a year, and that's with with the 33 or the 20 that came from Brazil. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's okay for us to give that context. I think you're right, we signed the contract in 2014, so we've had about six years uh, since the contract started, and if you look at the context of how long it takes to design a train and to issue a first one. Normally in the OEMs like ours, we take one year before we go into serial production. So if a contract was signed in 26 April 2014, and you consider all that time, how long you've taken, because as you know, and I'm sure you've read, us, you've read about us somewhere, we took the first 20 trains and made them in Lapa, designed them in Europe, produced them in Brazil, and really, it was just to refine the, the platform, the extra police mega, the train that you had cho been chosen by Praza, but each train because it's unique. We had more than 200 engineers that helped with the design. And we were trying to refine it by making the first 20 trains in Lapa, which allowed us to export a few of the materials, particularly in the stainless steel, because, you know, Alstom doesn't really have a lot of areas where they were considered steel type trains. So we needed to refine the design. And that's why we did the 20 trains offshore. And uh, that involved also using some South African suppliers, in particular steel, also sending a lot of our engineers there. But what happened in that period, the original plan was that as we were importing the Brazilian trains after we were comfortable that they work, we were supposed to start manufacturing the local trains. And then we hit a snag in 2015 in getting the EIA approval for the place in Springs, our Dunota factory, because it was basically a farm in agricultural land. And that snag cost us nearly two years in the break between the Lapa trains and the South African trains. That's why you see there's almost a gap of two years between 2016 when we started delivering to 2018 when we made the first South African train. So the first South African trains, I think the first 2018 was three trains. And right now we've made nearly 20 trains in South Africa. So when you say 2019, 2020, two years to make 20 trains is quite exceptional. Sure, indeed. So aside mm. from, from COVID and, and that kind of impact, when will production ramp up? 
So it is ramping up. I did see uh, that for us, remember, we've been ramping up since we started. So before COVID started, we already in March this year started to make one and a half to two trains a month. This, now we've come back to that level. So April and May were basically dead. And then in June, we started two trains. In July, another two trains. And uh, in August, another two trains. So we're doing two trains a month now. Whereas before March, we were an average one to less than one train a month. And before COVID, we thought by now we'll basically be on three trains a month because you have to stagger the development of your own supply chain and our own maturity. So we are basically on a minimum of two trains a month and hoping to end the year, not planning to end the year, on three trains a month as a minimum. The impact of COVID, as you said, is difficult to ignore. So if we can stabilize on two trains, we are stable on two trains with a supply chain that is very erratic, and then come back to a stability of three trains a month, I think we'll, we'll be solid this year. And our target is to make at least 25 trains in this financial year. Fantastic. Okay, so we're, we're all aware of the socioeconomic challenges that face South Africa. Uh, why is it important for Gabela to extend itself to the degree that it has to meet these challenges and align in such detail with the South African National Development Plan? It was a unique selling point as when Alstom was obviously tendering, each supplier had to make themselves stand out. And this is what the commitment we took that made our tender and our submission stand above the others. So, of course, we have far higher local content proposition than what everyone else has seen. On the maintenance side of 19 years, we, we go up to more than uh, 90% and come back to 70% later in terms of local content that we're going to do. And as you know, in the MSA, we stabilize at 66, 65%, greater than 65% quite quickly. This is the value add. You know, you can always import equipment in a container and integrate it, but really the, the ripple effect on the economy is far more limited when you do that. So industrially, it's our selling point and it's now our commitment that has been made through the tender. That's what we're going to do. Then on top of that, besides just the, the strict industrial uh, local content type related contribution we think we're going to make, which will resuscitate the whole rail industrial sector. There's obviously the community upliftment, which is a huge angle for us, that we really want to invest a lot in education to try and increase the level of STEM subjects in the country. And that it's it's unacceptable, you know, that I think the statistics are less than 5% of kids that start in school finish with a tertiary degree and even less on science, technology, engineering and mathematical studies. So it's really what we try to, to really act on, on math and science and increase the literacy there. If we talk about local content, I, I'm hoping that the allocation to local content hasn't all been written down to just the construction aspects. You know, at what point, where, where are you now on, on local content? You mentioned the figure just now, I didn't quite get it. And then at what point do you reach the 75% in the manufacturing side? Remember the way the local content is done. The first couple of years are heavily weighted on the money we spent on the factory. And that ends quite quickly. You know, EDE level one and two, which is really May 2020, it's the only period that takes into account 1.5 or so we spent in the factory. Beyond that, it is about trains and production of trains. So when you look at our statistics where we say we are already on 44% of local content, that's just for year one. The balance of the years, which is the 65% going up to the end of the contract being almost 70%, is about train production. So when we say 44%, that's where you cut it. The rest, 50% in about a year's time, is all about production, which includes 
the amount of money we are spending on components, materials, or bill of materials, basically, our overheads, salaries, etc. Whatever we buy offshore is now straight down, taking a hit on us. The taxes we pay the government, and the fourth one is some capex. Obviously, we now have been operating the factory, so we will be adding a bit more capex. All of those is what makes up mainly the four areas that make up what you call local content, and it starts immediately from end of this year. Okay, and then I see that the the local content target under technical support spares and the supply agreement, I think you call it TSSSA, are much higher. Is there a particular reason for this? Yeah, so they've got a funny curve, not funny, but basically the reason why they are high in the beginning and then they they fall to about 70%. They start at 92% and I think it falls to about 89% and then it keeps falling to a a stable level of 70%, let's say. The reason for that is that when we had the contract, we anticipated that Praza would be mobilizing in different areas, you know, in Bramfontein, Cape Town, and KZN. So our phasing of the cost is very much aligned to our mobilization activities that Praza needed to have, with, for example, Bramfontein being a very big site for us. And, and that's why you see that sudden steep curve in the beginning now, last year and this year, 90% and above and then coming down. And then later it comes back around four years from now, where we start again to do a lot of overhauls. This is the plan, a start of overhauls, because remember the TSSA also includes us doing a lot of overhauls for PASA. And when we do overhauls, because it will be year eight, really, of the contract or nine, the localization in terms of the OEMs should already be very stable. And that's what we anticipated, that it should be okay to do 70% localization. The rail sector in South Africa, as you are no doubt aware, is in trouble. And despite this this particular enormous contract, it is important that we understand how Gabella has gone about revitalizing the rail sector and the development of the local supply base, as this obviously has a direct impact on job creation within the industry and obviously with with Gabella itself. how have you gone about? I mean, like, really, where is the impetus of the rail revitalization um, for you guys? Yeah, it's a very big question, that, and I think um, we have a portion to play there, but you're right, the challenges are obviously far bigger than us as just as an OEM that we really wanted, we still want to be a catalyst to revive the rail sector. This is our mission, right? But we, we can't do it on our own, so we have to work very closely with Praza. And yes, Praza I mean, has been very good to us as Kibela. They treat us as a priority supplier. So just to be clear, it's been a great relationship we've had so far with Praza. But nonetheless, it's impossible to ignore the challenges they're having in execution of revenue services in the country. So we are having many engagements with Praza on what role we can play to assist them to actually utilize the trains because production of trains is just one section and supporting the trains to run. But if they don't run optimally, we have a problem. So even now, behind me here in the background, we have Praza executives with us where we are discussing how can we work together to activate, for example, the Cape Town line and push more trains into other regions because we have that capability and now we've built the capacity even in engineering in terms of project management to assist and we work together with them to see what can we do within the limited scope of what we are capable of. And our section really is directly our responsibility is to act and create a a platform where they could bounce off 
the idea though is that remember once Kibela is stable we didn't just want we didn't just wish for this to be a south african company we're hoping to use it as a springboard to supply other regions and that hopefully is still going to manifest once COVID issues are out besides helping here that certainly we have a, a huge facility as you said a brilliant facility and we think we can use it for more than just this project in the long term Okay, so don't give too much away on, on that because that, that is like, I think, one of my closing <laughs> questions. Of all the components identified for local content, what is the split portion between Alstom, Ubunya and other suppliers? What we do with uh, Ubunya, first of all, the context is that Ubunya has only 150 trains awarded to them. So we don't have a carte blanche or a specific preference to Ubunya because Ubunya is not given as a separate company. So the 150 trains was that we wanted um, to closely manage the, the IP transfer to an entity whilst we developed and, and refined the trains in the beginning. And soon we'll be launching a second wave because, like I said, 150 trains is not a lot. So we need to open up the market and support based uh, procurement uh, policy principle that almost everything that Dubunya does will be done by someone else. And so there's a portion, remember it's 150, it's not 600 trains that they are going to make for us. We're going to go to a second source. So in the current 150, let's say the first 150 trains, there are approximately 10% of, our, of, of the 150 is now currently being spent in Dubunya, 10% in terms of a bill of material. And like I said, it's not like uh, it's exclusivity. There's no exclusivity we have. We launch others and we're working with many other suppliers already to try and, and develop the material supplying in Ubunye. You, you must remember Ubunye also sources from South African suppliers. They don't make everything themselves. So when you say Ubunye, it's just the money we, we buy from Ubunye, but we still use the same supplier base as South Africans. Okay, so out of interest, has the extent to which Gabella has gone to ensure, and I quote, it is critical to CRASA that its contract with Gabella involves and profits as many mm -hmm. South Africans as possible, made the overall project more expensive, or was that built into the whole thing? And I think when I say more expensive, I, I, and you're going to elaborate on the socioeconomic impact thereof, but when, when I say more expensive, would it have been easier to manufacture these overseas and just deliver them, or has the extent of what you've done really had the real benefits, the socioeconomic benefits that you were hoping for? I think it's a big question that you're asking, because I think for me, you could say it is slightly more expensive to do to create an industry in South Africa. You're correct, it is seemingly more expensive to do that, but the socioeconomic value of that probably exceeds the price. If you're really gonna do a proper econometrics model of what it does for us to create so much employment, so many value chains in South Africa, it probably makes it cheaper for South Africa to do this here. I don't know if I'm making any sense. So if you're going to buy it for, for less than a hundred rand from someone else overseas and suddenly you're buying in South Africa for that much, for, for a higher amount, but the benefits of buying local are much, much better than buying offshore. I think you also need to kind of touch on the benefits of the capacity building in terms yes. of our local industry. I mean, this project here, um, you're, you're building capacity within our sector. You've obviously spent a lot of money on, on R&D and there's going to be a technology and innovation as well as skills transfer into the local industry. And I'm hoping that that will have a far greater value in the context of this contract versus if we just bought it overseas. 
Absolutely. I mean, if you look, for example, at our interiors, we have a supplier called BFG. This is one of the best international suppliers of all interior panels in the world. They come to South Africa, they set up a plant here, and they hire 100 people in their plant. They were not here before. They then get a South African partner. I think the company is called Mergence, and they, they give away 51% of their company. So now you've created a South African entity that is able to make interiors that wasn't there before. And this entity like that now bids for work within Alstom and outside to make more interiors for other products other than ours, and they will export this material. So there are many success stories like that. Wabtech, for example, a huge OEM that was not in South Africa at all until now, comes to this country, and now they are invested in this country. And those benefits of investing, investing in the country, creating local value chains and supply chains in South Africa are immense. And because also South Africa is seen as a low-cost country, like India, Brazil, etc., they then have an opportunity to export from here to other countries. So in the long term, Certainly, localization is exactly what is has done. It has a multitude effect on the economy of the country and creates a competitiveness in, in the southern half of Africa where we could use these platforms to export our material to the rest of Africa and the world. And already some of our suppliers are doing that. So for me, the price does not capture that. It doesn't capture the true value of really what this contract will create as a competitiveness for a country and the impact we have on the global, on the GDP of South Africa in the long term, as these suppliers become better. We use suppliers in Durban, we use suppliers in Pitamaisbeck, and because of us, they expand their footprint from the shores to to, to Gauteng, but they also become entities that are international. You know, they become international suppliers because people can now see, and as we are associated with Alstom, a very huge global OEM, they see all these platforms and they go, okay, look, let's use this supplier because they're the cheapest. And they even have a strategy of moving production from Europe to low-cost countries like ours. So it's going to be immense. To me, I think we haven't even seen that stabilize because, as you said, once you stabilize production at a high level, suppliers we use with the international benchmarks. Sustainability, I mean, obviously, is a huge consideration, and you you touched on on it earlier in terms of your facility and looking at other opportunities in Africa. So, it really, I wanted to re-emphasize that as part of the question because you've you've built an incredible facility, you've created thousands of direct and indirect indirect jobs along the way, um, and even more anticipated as you get into full production. What happens when you get to 2029 and you've delivered the 660 trains? I know you go into a maintenance cycle, but are you going to be looking at the extension? I think if I remember correctly from the contract, there, there is a possibility of more trains and then you know, just expand on, on the Africa strategy. We, we don't see ourselves as ending in 10 years anyway, because like you said, you've got a 19-year contract on TWSA, which currently ends in 2035. And therefore, the maintenance contract will keep going, you know, 19 years of, re, of overhauling and supporting Praza in the maintenance field. But remember, we've also built, as you said, our plant has to be kept up to date. And the way that the plant is built 
is main, has to be continuously maintained. The equipment will be refreshed. Tennis is a long time. The train will evolve. And that means that we have to change the facility over the years to keep up with the technological advances. And this is the, the advantage of being um, linked to an international OEM that we are, our plant will keep up with the latest trends. It's designed like that. It's in an area where we think um, we are trying to work with Plaza to develop the supplier park and make it a real industrial hub. So normally, there's really no reason that it should stop. We have invested, as you know, more than 100 engineers in what we call a product evolution facility. And these people are currently based in many different countries where they are learning how to do designs at train level evolution. Because the current train that you see, the blue trains, are a one, a one variant. So they are a 3KV standard variant, which is basically what you see. But there's three other variants you need to do. We need to do a train for Eastern Cape, which is a 25 kV. We need to do a train that has toilets, which has not yet been developed. We need to do another different variant of metro. So on the top of what you see, we need a design office. And then as the train over the years, because the train is the product itself, will also evolve. Let's say, for example, you wanted to change the class to Perspex. And the trains will change in design depending on the situations that we see and mm -hmm. optimize for localization, etc. And all this required us to form what is called a product evolution facility. And we have a huge technology and investment we've done in technical libraries. So there's no ways that you can just say to those people, bye-bye. We are hoping that over time, Praza and other suppliers will sell our capability to other countries. We already are tendering to use those people that we've invested in to sell their expertise and design capabilities to other countries. And in 10 years' time, they should be very well mature, even for South African um, utilization. In 10 years' time, though, it is correct that our utilization of the factory, the factory per se, will end. But do you remember that Praza had 7,200 cars they wanted to build, and they launched this as one part of two parts of two trenches of trains. So whether, obviously, we think we'll be made very competitive to, to be able to offer a proposal then, but uh, in the, it will be difficult for someone else to compete with us if we do our jobs well, because why would you when you've created an entity that is South African? But certainly they will find someone else to use the plant if we fail to, to be convincing in the next leg of this journey. So, as a minimum, as a minimum, as a minimum, because even now, like I said to you, the, the way that the production works, the workshops, we can do more than this. It's just that we needed to first stabilize ourselves and we are hoping that as the maturity comes through, we'll be able to use that facility to tender for more work in Africa. We've already had other, other people you know, coming there, other country states coming to the plant and asking, are you able to give us trains? We just want this train. You know, they don't even want another one. We just want the one like this one. So people are very obviously simplistic in what a train is because there's no train that looks like the other train. But certainly the facility is poised for far more than that, for far more than what what uh, what you see now. Okay, so I also love the fact that there's been a huge focus on women empowerment in terms of your staff as well as your suppliers and spend. Is there room for more participation as you ramp up and how does one go about getting involved? There's the first the supplier section where we currently have about 150 suppliers that are, we're utilizing and of those about 80 are South African. We hope to double that. To be honest, we hope to double the number of suppliers. Like I said, our strategy is broad base. We want to have more suppliers instead of having, obviously, we, wanna, we try to balance that it must be a big enough business for people to invest in, but it must be a lot of these big businesses. Because like us, 
we are, we are one company, 600 trains, so we also have to balance that if it's too small, then you can't invest. But it must be big enough for you to be able to go to a bank and invest in your business. And we think the contract allows that, you know, at six trains a month at peak, that three trains a month is a huge business. And when we do an award, we also don't want people to have just a parity to us that you're 100% dependent on us. We try to create businesses that will have other sectors that they can supply or other companies. So the, the direct answer of what our contribution is, we will double our supplier base to create broader base. So there's plenty of opportunities. And we try, now this year has been interrupted. We try every year to run at least two supplier days where people come to the factory and we re-explain what we do. We're going to keep doing that. COVID has hurt us this year because normally we haven't been able to stick to our, to our programs, but they, we try and do online registrations and people still come and look at people and we become very open on that. We have a sourcing policy that is quite transparent. Obviously, because we are spending public funds, we try to be very clear on the governance that how do we spend the money, how do we source, etc. So there'll be plenty. And in that spend already done this past year, you clearly can see we have more than one billion who spent on black women-owned companies because as a target, we push, we push them the previously marginalized, the black-owned and the black women-owned companies are those that were marginalized. And we spend a lot of money there, like I said, a billion, a billion rand, and we have many initiatives to push the angle of black-owned and black women-owned businesses in particular. And that's not going to change. We spend money on uh, incubation, support, supply development. We have an ED fund. I think you know about that. You've spoken about it before, that you've got ED funds. So not only is it technical capacity that we give, via our own engineering teams, but we have funds to assist incubation, which is held by the enterprise development funds. So I think it's quite good, I mean, from a supplier base. And of course, as employees, you know, we have 50% women in our company at the moment, and we train a lot. Of each employee on average has more than seven training interventions since we started. So I think it'll be, it'll be difficult to match that, I think, but we had to. It's not because maybe we had to in order to resuscitate an industry and to up the skill of the people that work with us and the suppliers as well. And we keep refining that, obviously, each time to see what more do we need to do. Nice. Well, thank you very much. That was a great interview. And thank you for your time and joining me for a coffee. Oh, perfect. We hope to see you soon in the plant. Come back. Yes, I'll come visit. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.